All right, so uh, since it is Easter, I want to start in John chapter 19 um, at the end of Jesus' early life. Uh, in John 19, Jesus Christ uh, has been, uh, he has been arrested, tried, sentenced, uh, he has been beaten, he's been mocked, and he has been crowned with thorns. And so now here in this chapter, he is in the middle of the cross. Uh, he is being executed as a common criminal. And just so you know, the cross was very painful just because of all the other things associated with it. But perhaps the most painful thing about the cross is that it was a slow death of asphyxiation. So here is Jesus in John chapter 19, the Son of God, the living Word, and He's dying. And so here we are now at the, the very end in John 19, 28 through 30. Jesus knew that His mission was now finished. And to fulfill Scripture, He said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it. They put it on a hyssop branch, and they held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. I don't think I have to argue anyone into this point, but this is the saddest moment, not only in Scripture, but in all of human history. Um, it's also a very painful moment, and I say that not just for Jesus, but I think for every one of us. I mean, w when we walk through Holy Week and we live through these scriptures again, th th there's a real sadness here that overtakes all of us. And so all of that is true, and yet I want us to be very careful this morning not to miss the glory of this moment. Y'all, this is a beautiful moment as Jesus now realizes that everything when it comes to Scripture, every Scripture about Him has been fulfilled. And, when you, you know, when you look through the Old Testament, there's so much about Jesus. I mean, it comes out of the most unlikely places in Scripture throughout the prophets, the law. Jesus is everywhere in the Old Testament. And so here now, all of the Scripture about Him has been fulfilled except for one. Psalm 69, 21 says that Jesus must take a bitter drink and then the end comes. And so here he is, and he is in complete command of the situation. Jesus says, I am thirsty. He's given that, that, that bitter drink of wine. He cries out, it is finished, and he gives up his spirit. And those words, gives up his spirit, are so important because Jesus' life was not taken from him. It wasn't. Jesus gave up his life for every one of us. But this morning, what I want to do is I want to zero in on those final three words of Jesus where he says, it is finished. And, and I want to ask the question, what? What is finished? What is Jesus talking about when he says these words? I mean, is this because Jesus Christ is on the cross, it hurts, and this, is, this has really been, I mean, days of ordeal, just everything that's happened to him. It hurts, he's agonized, and he's saying, oh, finally, finally, the pain and the suffering, it's all going to be over. Is Jesus referring to life on this planet? And y'all, you know, I, I don't know about you, I like planet Earth. You know, on, on some days, I love planet Earth, but planet Earth compared to where Jesus is from, y'all, he's from heaven, 
the glories, the beauties of heaven? Is he, is he contrasting here and going, man, you know, finally my time on this miserable little planet, which is like a slum compared to where I'm from, finally all of that's over. What does Jesus mean by it is finished? And John's kind of given it away to us in, uh, in verse 28. He's talking about his mission. Jesus is saying that everything that God called him to do down here is finished. He, he, he has done it all. Now, what did Jesus do? Okay, well, here's one thing. He made God known, right? He revealed the power of God to people. Healing, uh, deliverance, uh, I mean, the, the, literally the power of God. Every miracle is just the power of God, raw power unleashed. Jesus has done that. That's part of his mission. But Jesus has also made the love of God known to people. He's opened the door of salvation. Time and time again, when people run into Jesus, and you know, some of the people that ran into Jesus weren't real sanitized, right? You know, I mean, some of them weren't real pretty when they walk into the pages of Scripture. Some horrendous people, what do they meet when they meet Jesus? They meet the goodness of God. They meet the love of God. They meet acceptance. And so Jesus is saying, look, God, all of this that you've called me to do, I've done it. In other words, Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Father, I've completed that. And so even though Jesus is on the cross and it is agonizing and it is painful, we have to understand those words, it is finished, y'all, this is a victory cry. I mean, this is triumph. Every generation of mankind ever to come is going to be blessed because of what Jesus, Jesus has done here. And so what you have in this moment is Jesus crossing the finish line, okay? Now, some of y'all don't know this, and it's not that big a deal, but I used to run marathons, and I was pretty good. You know, I was, I was in the competitive class, and I, I placed in a few marathons. You know, I was really, really moving for me. But nevertheless, when I crossed the finish line, every single time, finisher, all right? Uh, in quotation marks, also ran. That's all I was in any marathon I ever ran. Jesus Christ, though, y'all, he's breaking the tape. He is the victor here. This painful cry is ultimate triumph. Father, I did it. God, it's accomplished. And everybody wins. Not just me, everybody wins. And I think we have to realize that, you know? I mean, sometimes you read the pages of Scripture and you're like, oh, man, those people back in zero A.D., they were so lucky. They got to see it. They got to hear it. They got to experience. Boy, they, I tell you, that man, Jesus in the flesh, listen, we win. This, this cry is our, our victory cry even here in 2016. These final words, it's finished. This is everything for you and me. It really is. And I'm going to prove it to you now by taking you to the very end of the story, okay? We're going to the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and we're going to meet Jesus there, and, and we're going to discover what is coming our way because of Jesus, all right? So this is like the game show, okay? Behind door number three, here, I'm going to show you what's behind the door, all right? And not just how that's awesome tomorrow, which it is, but how incredible it is for us today. So join me, if you will, in Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22, and, and I'll read just a little bit. Verses 1 through 7 and 21 first. John is writing about the vision God's given him, and he says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, 
or passed away, as it says in, in many translations. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, sorrow, no more crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And then the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. Then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. He also said these words again, it is finished. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I'll give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these things. I will be their God and they will be my children. Now, Revelation 22, 12 through 14. Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. Now, we get a lot of this in Revelation. Many of us read the book of Revelation and we think, wow, that's great, wow, that's beautiful, have no idea what I just read, okay? Now, here is why. Revelation, time and time again, gives us pictures, okay? Scenic pictures, little vignettes, just, just beautiful, beautiful little moments. And, and, and so uh, what I'm gonna do today is I'm gonna take the pictures that we get and I'm gonna piece them together and we're gonna find that what we have in the end is kind of like a jigsaw puzzle. It all comes together to form one big, beautiful scene. So here's what we start off with. John begins by describing a new heaven and a new earth. And, and then I emphasized it when I read it. John goes on to say, you know, actually, everything is new. He talks about the water of life. He talks about the tree of life. Now, does that start to jog anybody's memory? Does that sound even remotely familiar? If it doesn't, listen to Revelation 22, 1 and 2. John describes not only, not only water in a well, but he describes the river of life. Then he describes trees of healing with incredible fruit, and their, their leaves serve as healing for the nations. Y'all, what John is describing here, I believe, is a garden. And this garden he's describing sounds a whole lot like the Garden of Eden, Okay. So this is this new beginning. We're talking about something like a Garden of Eden, but this is the Garden of Eden with upgrades, all right? Now, let me, let me talk to you about the upgrades because the upgrades are significant. You want this version, okay? So trust me, I'm gonna talk you into the upgrades. First of all, there's the mention of a holy city in this garden, okay? A holy city that is not built by mankind, but this is a holy city that God has made and we can't doubt that because it descends from God out of heaven and it's placed right in the midst of the garden. Now we might be thinking, okay, you know, gardens are pretty great. Why do, why do we need a city in the middle of this garden? Why do we need a holy city? I'll tell you why. Because Revelation 21.3 says somebody is going to live there. 
the Holy One is going to dwell in this city, all right? So again, this is Eden with upgrades. But the thing about God in, in, in this place is God's not gonna live there by himself. God is going to live there with who? Yeah, me, yeah, me, you, all of us. I'm, I'm joining in on that me, Rosemary, I absolutely am. He's gonna live there with his people, right? So God is gonna dwell there with, with all of his people, you and I, everyone who's received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we will live in heaven with God. Are you sold? I'm not done yet, okay, I'm not done yet. So, but listen, we're not gonna live there with God like college roommates or you know Boy Scouts on a camping trip sharing the same tent. We're not even gonna be estate staff, right? Like Downton Abbey. You and I are going to live there with God and you can do this because these are spiritual concepts as his children, but as something else. And the something else is given away in the way the holy city looks. Now, does anybody remember? The holy city came dressed as a what? As a bride, right? So, so get this. The holy city is decorated or tricked out like bridal chambers, right? A home for a royal couple, a royal married couple. Jesus has talked to us about this, okay? Matthew 25, in, in one of his parables, he drops a concept on the church, and sometimes, especially men, we hear that and go, well, now I don't know about that. But Jesus drops a concept on us that as his children, we are also the church. We are his bride. Matthew 25, he talks all about us being his bride, the great wedding feast, how we join him spiritually like that. Paul talks about this. In 2 Corinthians 11:2. he says to the church, he says, I, uh, he says, I promised you as a pure bride for one husband, Jesus Christ. And so these pieces fit together, okay? You take this, lux this lush garden. You take this luxurious city. You take this new, uh, this new relationship with God. And you know what scene we have painted for us? We have got an incredible outdoor wedding, that, that's what Revelation 21 is. And by the way, that's why I'm wearing the tux, okay? For the wedding, you know? For, for the wedding. Now, now listen, I know in the scenario, I'm not supposed to be wearing a tuxedo, but there was no way I was putting on a gown this morning, okay? <laughs> Y'all would have been so scared. Y'all been like, you know, that's the end of that church, okay? So I did the best I could. I put on a tux because really the whole thing points toward a, a royal wedding. But listen, it's not just the wedding event that Revelation 21 is pointing to. Now the wedding is gonna be awesome, but, but 21 and 22 are also pointing toward an incredible married life. It's pointing to not just the moment when we say I do, because you know, you take the tux off after the wedding, right? Jane, I have not worn this for 25 years, have I? No, I have not, okay? So, but, but Revelation 21 and 22 is pointing to a beautiful married life together with God. And this marriage, this spiritual marriage between God and his people, it's beyond anything that we have ever known down here. Is, is anybody in the room getting married um, in the next year or so? We had somebody in the first one. Okay, we, okay I, I will not embarrass you guys, okay? But we, we've got a couple here. Okay, but listen, here's the thing. We have all been in your shoes, all right? Um, when, when we're getting married, okay, I can even remember back 25 years, a quarter of a century, when Jane and I were going to get married, you know, we were engaged, it seemed like forever. Um, we were both excited about the wedding. Now, that might shock you. We had lots of dreams about what married life would be, and every person on the planet does this. 
You know, we, we fantasize about the marriage, you know, all the wonder of it, and there's just so many positive images. But, but I, gotta, I gotta tell you something everybody just about knows here. It never quite turns out the way we imagine, does it? I, I, I have got a great marriage, okay? So many of my dreams have come true in my marriage. This beautiful woman, they, they really have, but you know what, not all of them have. There are some things I imagine that just have not come to pass. And there are two reasons why, that, why this is true. The first reason is a little thing called life. Life doesn't always cooperate with us, does it? You know, I mean, whether you dream of making millions or your children are gonna look like this or you're gonna live in this kind of house or you're gonna be this kind of person, life conspires against us. In so many ways, we get hassles and bills we didn't count on and unforeseen tragedies and delays and hassles. I mean, th- life is, uh, th- those are the little foxes that can really spoil, spoil the vine of our love. But there's another reason why marriage doesn't always turn out so well. Well, not always so well, but why it isn't all we imagine all the time. And it's because of the two people involved in the relationship. You know what I'm saying? I mean, listen, I, I, th- I think I'm a pretty good husband. I'm not the ideal husband, though. Jane can tell, oh, there's so many days when it's like, you know, we made a commitment, honey, but I'm telling you, you're, you're really stressing me. My, my wife, Jane, is wonderful. She's not the perfect wife either. You know why we are not the perfect couple? Because you can't pull that off 24-7 as a human being. We just can't. And, 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 and so, you know, it's just one, one of the truths. But see, look at Revelation 21. We have a different description of marriage, and it is so much greater We are spiritually wed in this moment to the perfect husband, God. Y'all, he provides for us so beautifully in this moment. We talked about the hassles of life. Look at what God does to overcome everything in life that's a struggle. He provides the, the, the perfect home. He guarantees us he will live with us there. He removes every cause of sorrow, pain, heartache, and death. In other words, I mean, boy, we, uh, life is a cakewalk around us in heaven. It's beautiful. It's glorious. There's no, there's no sin, darkness, anything there. But it's not just life that gets fixed. When we get up to heaven in verse 4, we have the promise, and he will wipe every tear from our eyes. And that's just God saying, you know, what's wrong with you? What ails you? You know, what hurts inside? What's dark about you? In God's presence, all of that is going to be healed. And so all told, look at what we have coming our way because of Jesus Christ, we have a lavish life. You know, we have a lavish relationship with God. We have a a, a lavish wedding. We have a lavish marriage. We have a lavish love from the one who is love. Isn't that great? Revelation 21.7 says, all who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. And the amen stopped because suddenly you just heard something. You just heard me drop a condition. Steve, that was wonderful. All these things are coming our way. All these blessings, you talked about it, but then suddenly there's a condition because according to that verse, we got to win something now. We've got to be victorious, you know, and, and, and so, so, so what is this thing we're putting, you know, what do we have to win first to claim this heavenly prize? Actually, we don't have to win anything. Instead, we have to be wearing something. Revelation 22, 14, we've got to be wearing clean robes. Let me read this to you. Blessed 
are those who wash their robes. They will be permitted to enter in through the gates of the city. So in that day, we've got to be wearing clean robes. And that's where the cross and that's where the crucifixion of Jesus Christ comes in. Because y'all, there's a thing in this life, in this world, we know it from day one, I believe we know it before day one, it's something that keeps us from God. It's something that separates us. It's something that dirties us. No matter how good you try to live, there is a stain that hits us in this life, and the stain is called sin. And sin does move us as far as east is west from God. It just really does. But see, what takes away the stain of sin, the dirt of sin, what takes it away is associated with the cross of Jesus Christ. And it is the blood of Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, his blood flowed. For everyone who receives him as Lord and Savior, that blood is spiritually applied to our hearts, our minds, our lives, and we are clean. We're forgiven. The the, the 10,000-pound gorilla of sin is just gone. And that's what Jesus is saying, that his final words, it is finished. Jesus is saying, now everything has been done. Salvation, the doors are open. The, the, The wedding is set. People can be made ready because I die and I rise again. All of you can be made clean. All of you can live forever. And y'all, that's the eternity. That's what's coming at the end. That's what's behind the door. That's what we have to look forward to. That is what Jesus did for us. Greatest thing in the world. Greatest thing ever. Isn't it? And then we only have one issue. The one issue is right now. The one issue is today. So if that's what comes later, then what in the world is today all about, you know? I mean, is is this just like one long doctor's room waiting visit? You know, just come on, God, get on with it. I'm glad it's coming, but man, enough. Or or is it like what I did on Tuesday? Or maybe it was Friday. DMV. Anybody been to the DMV lately? Oh my gosh. They gave me a ticket. I got so excited. My number, you know, they have the letter and the number. There's no system to it, right? The numbers and the letters don't match. Everybody in there is going in front. I, I felt like I was there for about a year. This life is not to be like that for us. It's not one big waiting thing. In other words, what, what our time is, is, is all to be about today is just preparation for the wedding. These are the days that God gets us ready for this wedding that's coming at the end. And so in this time, after we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, while we wait, what does God do? God begins to make us new in profound ways. Look back from the day you accepted Jesus Christ until today. Okay, everybody, can, can you do that? Any changes in your life since then? Any changes in your ways of thinking, your ways of seeing people? It's pretty incredible what God is up to, but I'll go ahead and list a few anyway, right? We get this experience of forgiveness, God cleansing us. We, we, we get another thing that nobody else, not even Americans on the planet, taste. Spiritually, we get to taste freedom because of Christ. This is something God, God, just setting us free day by day. Last week, we talked about light and life. Jesus brings that. This experience grows within us. We also get to the effect of our hearts and our minds taking a journey with God. 
towards wholeness and freedom. We, we get something else, which is kind of goofy looking in a tux, but I'll do it anyway. We, we also get to grow up in Christ, you know, into the fullness, the maturity of Christ. I look like I'm getting ready to do the, uh, the karate kid kick in just a second, but I'm being like a tree, okay? This is my tree. But, you know, this experience of just becoming in Christ, strong, green, alive, we're also given a new purpose down here, a new mission down here. In other words, we're being made new and we are tasting life. And so it makes this life, even though sin is around us, you know, there's still some darkness, it, it makes this life sweet. It brings a real wonder, a real eternity to this life. So in other words, even though it's not all finished around us when we look around, you know, this world, boy, there, there's a lot of unredeemed stuff in this world, not finished. God begins to finish us. And that's a glorious thing. Paul talks to us about, about how God's finishing us. You know, in uh, Philippians 1.6, he, he tells the church this. He says, listen, church, he who began a good work in you, so this God who saved you and made you his when you were saved, this God who did this, he is going to be faithful to complete this work until Jesus Christ comes for you, until the return of Christ. And so that's where we are. It's Easter it's resurrection morning for us. We've got the empty cross, the empty tomb of Jesus, but we have got these final words, it is finished. And all of that, once again, comes together for us to paint a pretty amazing picture. And actually, the picture is on the walls on both sides of me. What Jesus has come to do for us, John 10, 10, I have come that you might have life and have life to the full. That is your birthright, your inheritance. It is who you are, living ones in this world. Is that good news? Yes, I think it is very good news. Amen. All right, let me pray for us. Father, we love you. God, we adore you. And Lord, with all of our hearts, we do not want to mindlessly move through calendar days and say, yeah, that was Easter, that was Thanksgiving, that was Christmas. Lord, today we want to lean in to, to the, that, that empty grave today. Father, in, in, our, in our own hearts and minds, we, want, we just want to look with those first apostles, those women that came, and just see that he is not there, that he is risen, and that rising changes everything for us. So Lord, in Jesus' name, I, just, I want to be mindful of anyone here who has never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Father, I pray that you would, you would just take them beyond the shame of being in church once a year, if that's the deal, or Lord, they haven't been for a while. But Lord, I, I thank you that today is the day of salvation. Lord, that day we come to believe, we come to see. And so if there's anyone here who's never accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, I just wanna say Easter Sunday, wow, what a day to do that. All that God requires is that we believe in our heart, we confess with our mouth, we receive Jesus, and life begins. Jesus even puts it this way. He says that this is eternal life, that you might know God the Father and his only son, Jesus Christ. I thank you that eternity begins not after life ends, but Lord, the moment we say, I do. So Father, we just thank you for saving work, for renewing work. We thank you for a risen Lord today. In Jesus' name, amen.